Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Bit of a lag in the computer, which is why <laughs> yeah. Tyler's laughing. I don't think that anyone heard me go, right. howdy. <laughs> um, also, but it's possible that it is on the recording, I'm not sure. But your the way your head moved, it was like when one of my cats is very confused. Oh. It was, that's yeah. why I was laughing. Yeah, okay. So... Um, Hey, uh, although the little death rattle, uh, that kicks off the episode. (laughs) will be fun. (laughs) So, okay. Uh, now before we get started, this episode or this movie journal, pardon me, uh, is brought to you by mini flicks, the premier streaming site for award winning short films. Mini flicks acquires short films that have premiered at Cannes, Sundance, uh, Toronto international film festival, and many more, meaning that you can see great short films available nowhere else online. Mini flicks also offers several Oscar nominated and Oscar winning short films unavailable on typical free video platforms. So this week they wanted me to talk about the film Stutterer. Um, did you this have you seen a, this? Yeah, yes. this is a, a Oscar nominated short two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. that's correct. Yes, uh, the character Greenwood seems to be seems to have everything going for him. He's good looking. He lives in a vibrant part of London. He works with words all day. He's a typographer. Yeah. I don't think I know what that is. I don't know either. But it might have been three years. Is it say two years ago? Uh, it's a. 2016 Academy Award Yeah, so winning. it means it's okay. from 2015. Yes, I so assume it is three so, yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, and he has a quickly growing relationship with a girl online, yet every time he opens his mouth to speak, he shuts down. Uh, he can't even make a customer service call without doing the very thing he always works to avoid. Uh, he has a stuttering condition. When his online girlfriend makes a surprise visit to London and expects to see him in person, Greenwood does everything he can to both prepare himself for the encounter while also learning new and scary things about himself in the process. As David mentioned, uh, the film uh, did win Best Live Action Short. Uh, in 2016 it's directed by the prolific irish short filmmaker it sounds like okay irish irish short filmmaker (laughs) right okay uh a short irish filmmaker uh benjamin cleary (laughs) and features a mesmerizing lead performance by british actor matthew needham uh so needham damn it killed him (laughs) You know, many flicks gives us money for this. <laughs> and I, I bet uh, they love the little bit of color. <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah. Uh, so watch Stutterer today to see the joys and sorrows of young love from a perspective rarely explored in mainstream film. New films are being added every month, and you can watch these incredible award-winning short films anytime, anywhere, on any streaming device for only three ninety nine a month. Wow. Or as a Battleship Pretension listener, you can get a... Th- free 30-day trial of commercial-free award-winning short films. Just go to uh, the page for this week's Movie Journal episode and click on the Miniflix banner at the bottom to redeem the special offer, or you can go to miniflix.tv slash battleship. But I would say go through the website. Yeah, we prefer that you yes. uh, go through our website. Anyway, so... Uh, Anyways, you guys. <laughs> yeah. That is, uh, yeah. Yeah. One of our right. favorite things. Okay. Let's talk about the movies we saw. Okay. I watched a movie um, uh, from last year that I've been, been meaning to get to. I had a screener uh, for a while. Uh, and I watched a, a documentary called The Final Year. Are you familiar with this documentary? It sounds familiar. Uh, some filmmakers followed around the Obama administration oh, yes, for the final right. year. Specifically, and this, this part I didn't know before I watched it. It's specifically about foreign policy. So it's it's it's... You know, 
the president's in it, or sorry, the, yeah, you still call him president. Anyway, yeah. President Obama is in it uh, a bit, but it's mostly John Kerry and um, uh, Samantha Power, mm-hmm. who's the ambassador to the UN, and Susan Rice. They're like the three who are in it the most. Um, and I, so I didn't know that it focused so much on foreign policy. Uh, Would you have watched it? Yeah, actually, okay. I, I think I might have watched it earlier because what it ends up being, for the most part, uh, is I think it kind of, for anyone who is into the the behind the scenes of a presidency. This mm-hmm. you know not necessarily just the Obama presidency, just seeing how yeah. this stuff works, you know, and 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 seeing the um, you know the uh, speechwriters and just the like. There's a um, there's a part where like one of uh, I, I, so Samantha Power is going to be meeting someone who is like a representative of some group, and um, and one of her and we see one of Samantha Power's like assistants sort of prepping the person for like here's how it's going to go. She's going to come in this door. You'll shake hands, uh, you, and then she's like jokes like you'll have that uh, that that spontaneous reaction that we practiced. <laughs> um, and so just the idea of like seeing the the way that things are 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 done and and getting some interviews with some insights. Uh, is really really interesting. I I do think if you worked for the White House. Uh-huh. How much would you attempt in your mannerisms to evoke the West Wing? <laughs> I feel like I would try a lot. Um, well, I, I don't. I mean, the real West Wing. I don't think you can walk and talk. It's a, sure. it, that's another thing is you get a lot of shots of the West Wing. It's tiny, hmm. um, although it has multiple basements. Um, that's weird. That's yeah. a little off putting. It has like a basement in like yeah. a two, like maybe one or two sub sub basements. Oh wow! Um, oh, Christ, I just got a notification I didn't want. Oh, <laughs> all right. Uh, anyway, I, I think the unfortunate thing is that the Trump candidacy and eventual win can't help but be a part of it. Oh, of course not. And at that point, I feel like it kind of takes on. What I didn't want it to be was it becomes sort of by default, it becomes very, very partisan because sure. it becomes about these people, this group of people you've seen, you know, for months at that point, like fighting for certain things and then r- realizing how much of it is going to be undone, mm-hmm. you know? And so it becomes less, it gives you less room to question or to have your own opinions about the foreign policy itself. Do you know what right. I mean? Um, but that's okay. I mean, it's from the point of view of these people, so they're going to be yeah. lamenting that it's going away. Like, um, yeah. Uh, I, but I came in with this. Um, uh, Samantha Powers, a star. I was already a fan of her um, uh, writing. She wrote a book called "The Problem from Hell" mm-hmm. about um, the sort of Western world's repeated failure to prevent genocides since World War II, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of why how she ended up being uh, the UN ambassador. Um, it, so she's great. She was my favorite, uh, uh, my favorite part. There's also, there's one guy and I'm forgetting his name, but he was, uh, he's in the, he's one of the speech writers. Um, and he's like kind of, he is kind of a West wing type guy because he's like really smart and really passionate, but also like Josh Lyman in that he's maybe a little full of himself. Sure. Um, but he actually had a really great insight that, he couldn't have known would have been so applicable to our current presidency. Mm-hmm. He was talking about how they lag when they first started, uh, it back in, you know, Oh nine, mm-hmm. they, they, they lagged in dealing with 
Russia because he said it took us a year to or so to realize that when you're talking to Vladimir Putin, you're not talking to someone who is representing his nation, like another head of state. You're talking mm-hmm. about someone who is representing Vladimir Putin and oh, doing yes. what is best for Vladimir Putin. And so that the way that speaks, like a that Russia is so influential now, and b that we have a president who is also like that now, you know, right. h- himself first. Uh, that was a really, uh, really sobering uh, insight. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 not bad. It's definitely if you're into presidential politics and stuff, you will like seeing uh, the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. Um, and then I watched the. I'd never seen the 1953 The War of the Worlds. Okay. I'd seen clips from it, specifically in Los Angeles plays itself because they blow up City Hall. Right. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, it's it's not bad. It's uh, have you ever seen it? No. So it's, um, uh, it takes a little while. I think, uh, the beginning is, the beginning is actually quite good and surprising for the time how, like, how, how bleak or how, like, uh, how straightforward it is about just, like, innocent people getting, getting killed, like, obliterated, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and then I think the middle section suffers because there's too much of this sort of like, uh, there's too much exposition and sort of like the, the, the stereotype of the 1950s, like drive in horror alien monster movie where you've got like the expert sort of explaining here's what's happening. And you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Um, but then you get to this ending and the thing that I've always loved about any version of the war of the worlds, um, when it's done right is that, this isn't a story about the hero who stops the aliens. Right. This is just a story about someone surviving. Yeah. Uh, and so the, 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 the finale, which is like, which is where the blow up city hall, it's people are like trying to get out of town and, um, you know, fighting each other for cars, much like in the Spielberg one. Mm. Um, and buildings are blowing up and everything's burning down all around them. And this guy is like, he's just looking for his lady friend. Right. And, um, he finds her at a church and it's a very, uh, does he call her that? uh, Have you seen my lady friend? (laughs) No, (laughs) no. Cause I mean, they meet at the beginning of the movie, so it's not like his wife or anything. It's just, it's his, it's the love interest of the movie. Um, uh, and, and and then, yeah, the, the, the ending in in a church is very, uh, very touching and solemn. It's, it's surprisingly heavy. I think for a movie that I expected to be more of a corny fifties B movie. Yeah. It has that, it has too much of that in the middle, but, uh, it, it, it really gets to some, some, uh, uh, I would say almost beautifully somber stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) by the end. Yeah, Jen was, uh, I'm not counting this as, as one of mine because I didn't watch all of it, but Jen was watching the Spielberg War of the Worlds this past week. And uh, and so I was kind of walking in and out and I watched like the the first heat ray sequence. Uh-huh. Man, that's so disturbing yeah, and, very, really and extremely harrowing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a film that I feel like I would like to return to, but... It's not. I don't consider it an easy film. Like yeah. 2005 for Spielberg was very, was a very dark year. Like mm-hmm. when even his blockbuster is disturbing. Like that's yeah. that's when you know he's got stuff on his mind. 
you know, when, when Munich is kind of a nice, uh, <laughs> relief. Um, okay. So, uh, I have here a movie that, uh, that we both saw, uh, separately. Uh, well, we were at the same screening, but yeah. we didn't go together. Right. Uh, it was the Zellner brothers damsel. Yes. Starring Robert Pattinson and Mia Wasikowska. Uh, yes. And you'll notice this isn't on my list because I have a very strict interpretation of the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. Sure. So you and I had seen this when we recorded our last movie journal. Right. We were under embargo at the time. We didn't talk about it. Um, so, uh, that's why it's not on my list. Just wanted to clear, clarify that, uh, cause you said we saw it together. Why is not why aren't we both listening it? Yeah. Uh, that's why you can read my review at battleshipretention.com and you know if you want to know my thoughts. And you know, what's fun is I absolutely knew you weren't going to include it uh-huh. on yours. Not, I didn't, I don't think I officially knew, but I know that there's, there's a tendency in you it, just as there is in me, but in other ways to like, it had its chance. I've moved on. Um, so, uh, okay. it, it can be frustrating sometimes when a movie has played festivals and has good reviews and is out yeah. to be told you're under embargo. Cause I actually have one this week that I can't talk about. A movie I saw on Monday. That's amazing. It's, um, I will say this without giving too much away. It has already supplanted. Won't you be my neighbor as my favorite documentary of 2018? All right. Uh, so it's coming out, uh, but it was also at Sundance. It's gotten plenty of good mm-hmm. reviews, but I'm told that I can't, talk about it it's frustrating <laughs> what are these studios doing i don't get it yeah um okay so yeah damsel i uh it's by the zelda brothers who made uh Kimiko the treasure hunter which was one of my favorite movies of that year mm-hmm. um they just have a very i don't know what it is about making a movie with your brother <laughs> whether it be the cone brothers the <clears throat> polish brothers the Mazels, right that's probably not true, but, uh, things are going to get a little bit off kilter, but in, in a way that is oddly endearing and at times incredibly humanistic. And there's stuff that I love that I adore about damsel. I mean, I love really everything about Robert Pattinson's characterization, not merely his performance, but also his props, his costume, the way he interacts with all of them. Uh, like yeah. when he's, when he takes that guitar off, uh, for the first time, it's very funny. Well, it's just his, not his first interaction. Cause there's a, there's a wordless scene at the beginning. That's essentially right. a prologue, right? But his first introduction to town, mm-hmm. the fact that he's like, he's dressed like a cowboy. Yeah. He's got a gun and he's got a guitar, but he's walking down this, like, uh, shabby dusty small wild west street and yeah. he looks like he just bought everything off the rack oh yeah he is impeccable shining clean clean shaven yeah. it's hilarious he looks like he's playing cowboy yeah <clears throat> and it's he does have a very but he has a certain air to him that you're not 100 percent sure if he's like a, a badass right or way out of his element turns out it's the latter <laughs> yeah. um but yeah, and so I just, I really, and then when it's, when it is revealed, uh, what's going on, uh, with him, what he's looking for, how he plans to get it, uh, it's very interesting. And then the, the film takes a, has a bit of a tonal shift, uh, more than halfway through. And then it actually heads further down that path until the film feels very different than how it yeah. started partially because of a, a change in perspective. Yeah. It literally changes protagonists. Yeah. Um, um which is always fun. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but 
Yeah. And I, and, and that's the thing is I, I would love to talk about it thematically, but I feel like in order to do so, I would, I would have to spoil too much of the film. Um, I just, I guess I, I think it's very much about, it deals with a lot of modern issues about like male entitlement. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's one of those things that we've said it before. It's not an uncommon thing for film people to say, like, if you've got a message, put it in a genre, in a genre film uh-huh. and it will somehow be more palatable. Yeah. Um, and also because you can intentionally play with expectations. Exactly. Which I think that's, yeah, definitely the entitlement thing, but there's also, I think something about just male assumptions, which I guess is follows under, under the same umbrella, sure, sure. but just men assuming things about, about mm-hmm. women, you know? Yeah. Um, and Mia Vashikov's character, I think, uh, one of my favorite things, I, I, okay, I like the movie, I didn't like it quite as much as you because I do think it's kind of, um, it has like one point that it kind of keeps making over and over again. Sure. But it's also so committed to its, uh, to its satirical approach mm-hmm. that I really liked that. And so one of the things that I liked is that Mia Vashikovska, unlike all the men in the movie, talks pretty much like a 2018 person. Yes. She uses turns of phrase like, you know, she said something like, we had a really great relationship, which is just not yeah. something you hear. You don't expect to hear a relationship. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and at first it's jarring and you feel like, you feel like, well, that doesn't really fit. But you also realize that this film is nothing if not deliberate. Yeah. And so there's a reason yeah. that they chose to write her that way. Yeah. Um, there are also, I think, multiple... And I love this. I think there are multiple direct or indirect references to Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, I do know? think so. Yes, uh, that that I that I really liked. Um, and there's and a play on the um, the Looney Tunes sort of um, uh, man. Where is my memory today? I remember my vocabulary. Today. Roadrunner. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm saying there's a there's a there's a law. There's like an axiom in Looney Tunes that you can run off a cliff, but you're not going to fall until you look down. Yes. There's yes. a version of that where. Obviously, the character is, doesn't hang in midair, but the right. camera does. Yeah. Like, the camera hasn't realized the person <laughs> fell off the cliff, and then it has to, like, tilt down to see yeah. him. I, that's very funny. Yeah, it's... Man, it is a very funny movie all around. Like, I did... I told you afterwards that if the movie were in black and white, I, I could see it as part of, like, the Dead Man extended universe. Oh, right. Like, I, yeah. Absolutely. And so... Uh, great performances all around. Uh, David Zellner, one of the directors, also plays a, a role. Well, they both do, but his role yeah. is much larger. Yeah. And he's a wonderful comedic actor. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate he doesn't get cast more often in films he's not a part of. Yeah. But he's... We didn't and, talk about how Robert Forster has a cameo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and once I realized like he was gone for the rest of the movie, I was like, oh, watch out. <laughs> we got a strong contender here for the Bruce McGill Award. Uh, um, right, yeah. But yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he has, because he's talking to a character who's sort of going, going out west as he's coming yeah. back, and he says... A line. He says things are going to be shitty in new and fascinating ways. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that I yeah. really like. Um, I, I really liked the movie. Yeah. Uh, and while we're on the to- subject of the cast, I did want to point out the Native American actor Joe Billinger mm-hmm. uh, passed away. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I, I think I was the film dedicated to him. I believe. Oh, it maybe was. it was. Okay, I must have missed that. Um, all right. Moving on. Oh man. Okay. So I saw a new movie that is. Uh, it, it's probably already out of theaters. Um, maybe it's opening in other places across the, the nation, but, uh, it is a film from a director named Jim McKay, who going back 20 years, uh, made a really great movie called girls town. 
he's most been working uh, in television, but like every prestige television show mm-hmm. uh, since then. So this is uh, another feature. It's called On the Seventh Day or An El Septimo Dia. Um, and it is about... A gr- well, specifically about one, but it's a group of Mexican immigrants living in a, living in New York City, who work. You know, most of them are uh, un, un, you know undocumented. Um, I mean, I'm not actually sure if the lead is uh, or, or not, but they work these mostly kitchen jobs or construction jobs to pay cash or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they they work six days a week. On Sunday, they play soccer. They have a league they play okay. soccer in. And so the premise is that this our, our main guy is the star of the soccer team. His boss tells him, hey, next Sunday, we're having a big party at the restaurant. He works at a restaurant. He's like, I need everybody on board. I need you to work on Sunday. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not in a position where he can say no. He'll get fired. He's right. not really a... Uh, you know he's an under the table employee to begin with, and so the movie takes place over the course of a week of him trying to figure out how to get to his soccer game or get his get someone else to replace him. Or uh, so the whole thing it, it has kind of a it's a ticking clock quality. To yeah, it. that seems on the one hand when I say it, it seems low stakes, and so and part of the ongoing conflict is that other people, some of the other people who don't play soccer who hear about it are like. What are you talking? You're going you're to risk your job for a soccer game, mm. but then we see how high stakes it is to him and his identity right. and his friendships, um, and it's uh, it's an absolutely beautiful beautiful movie. Mm. Um, that uh, yeah, and any, anyone should see it if you if you can. It has um, uh, it has a cast of almost entirely uh, non professional mm-hmm. uh, actors, which is usually something I like if a director can do it well and Jim McKay does it quite well he gets really um, it, it helps him you know I was reading well I'm gonna you know I was gonna say something about Milos Forman um, oh, yeah. uh, Milos Forman talked about casting because in um, uh, Loves, of a, Loves of a Blonde he uh, he cast a lot of non-actors to play essentially versions of themselves factory mm-hmm. workers or, or, or whatever uh, but he was talking about in every scene, he would if it was a group scene, he would try to have at least one professional actor because he was like the the non actors give you the 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 color and the detail that you wouldn't give the professional, but the, the professional understands the rhythm and shape of a scene and right. is able to play that. Um, and that doesn't uh, always work though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, Love of a Blonde is, is a is a great movie. Um, so it worked for Milos Forman. Uh, but more on him later, maybe. Uh, <laughs> not later today. Right. Soon. Later um, in life. Yeah. Uh, and then, so this has a, 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 a similar approach. So what I mean with all of that was what I was trying to say is there's a, there's a lot of feel for the color of the, of the, of their lives and of the movie. And, you know, this is the kind of movie that's about, uh, it's about a place in, in such a way that you feel like you're getting to know the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say that New York City is like a character because that's a cliche and is one of my least the teeth grittingly awful cliche to me. Anytime, anytime it uh, someone says that the location is right. like a character, I hate it. Um, but there are a couple of exceptions. Um, I remember. The I will r- accept that the city in Dark City okay. is kind of like a character. Uh, I remember the. 
uh, way back years and years and years ago in the Criterion cast, we talked about Walkabout. I was a guest on the mm-hmm. Criterion cast, talked about Walkabout, and uh, uh, James McCormick said in that in that movie, the Outback is kind of like a character. I kind of get that because it does seem to be actively trying to hurt these kids. I, I, <laughs> um, I think similarly about... Uh the desert in uh, Lawrence of Arabia, like whether it be like the devil's anvil or quicksand or whatever it is, like you're not supposed to be here and I'm going to do everything I can to get that message to you. So I think it can work, but I feel like it's such an easy thing to say to make you sound like you're tuned into something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, but I think this is, it's a great portrait of, of New York city that but not in the sort of, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with this, but in like, not in the, uh, you know, rose-colored Woody Allen type of 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 look at New York City, which mm-hmm. I like those as well. Um, this is a movie that made me feel like I uh, know something a little more about living there. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there's also a, there's all, there's um, without uh, uh, without really hanging a lantern on it. There are no white American characters in the entire movie. So that means even the bad guys, you know, are, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, there's one white guy, but he's, uh, I think he's Scottish. Um, he's also an immigrant is the yeah, issue. Yeah. Um, uh, every, pretty much everyone else is, uh, Latino hmm. or Latina. Um, which I, which I thought was a, uh, a really interesting move to sort of see like, cause the, Jose's boss is essentially the villain of the piece right. and he's a uh Latino American. Yeah. Um but you know uh obviously from a very different background he doesn't have an accent he's obviously you know right. seems to have as far as we can tell has grown up in America uh and uh I I think that's sort of like uh drilling down into that sort of community mm-hmm. um was really interesting. All right, I talked too much about okay. but it's really great on the 7th so, day. David, have you ever seen a film that you can't quite put your finger on why you hate it? You only know you do. Uh-huh. There's a lot going on. There's a, the movie Tag has a lot going oh, for okay. it. Oh, okay. It's got, got a, a great cast. great cast. Yeah. You know, and they have some some pretty good chemistry. And yet somehow it never quite adds up. It's like, you know, based on a true story, but I mean, they, they, they heavily, uh, changed it. Like it was a group of like 12 guys and they boiled this down to five. Um, each one is very much a, uh, an archetype. Uh, and it's, and then they, they introduce these moments of, of drama and like moments of history between these characters. And I feel like normally I would like that. And yet somehow I found it distracting. And then I realized I don't care about what I'm being distracted from. So now what? And, <laughs> and it was just the, the stakes seemed very low, which was ultimately like there's one guy in this group of, of friends that has never actually been tagged played by Jeremy Renner. And now they have an opportunity to do it, uh, because he's getting married. And so they know exactly where he's going to be and that they can corner him. And so it's like, okay, all right, sure. Whatever. Um, and then they, then you kind of realize that then they, they play with certain things like, okay, well, what is it to be the one guy that has, that has never been tagged? How does that impact the social element 
Uh, and then as they are trying to do this, they find out more about him that they didn't know. And so I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> There's something here. It's all here. All the elements are there. Yeah. Never mind the fact that Jake Johnson and uh, John Hamm couldn't possibly be the same age, uh, even though they're supposed to be. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Like, I'm... I'm willing to believe that he's a little bit younger than he looks. And I'm willing to believe that Jake Johnson is a little bit older than he looks. And yet still at best seven years between them. Like that's me cutting them a lot of slack. Yeah. And so it's just stuff like that. And, and the little subplots don't really seem to go anywhere. They're just kind of there arbitrarily. It's just so strange. There are some moments here and there that are, that are fun. Uh, and the filmmaking isn't, isn't quite so bad. Um, and, and, and the performances are fine. Uh, Hannibal Burris is in it and is such a unique on screen presence, yeah. uh, that he's, he's fun to watch. But in the end, it just like, I can't put my finger on it. And it's, it's not my least favorite movie of the year, but I think, and I can't quite put my, but I do know I hate it. I know that. Mm-hmm. And I can't figure out why I'm going to be working on it all year long and as i do i wouldn't be surprised if it fell lower on the list i think because it had so much going for it and i think it i don't think it's that it settled for i don't think it's that it it didn't know what to do with it i think they just settled for less i think they just saw you know you have all the ingredients for a really good cake and you just look at it and you think like this is good enough right (laughs) like no you have to actually put it together like i I have more respect. Like at the moment, currently the movie Gringo is lower on my list mm-hmm. than Tag, but that is one where I think the mixtures just aren't completely right. Mm-hmm. This one, it feels like they just stopped short and assumed that we would do the rest of the work. Okay. Um, so already, just as I say it, it's like, well, Tag is obviously lower than Gringo now. Yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just. Uh, <clears throat> Just, just a mess, and I really expected to enjoy myself more than I did. All right. Um, speaking of, I guess enjoying yourself. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, I watched a Robert Downey Sr. movie called Greaser's Palace from 1972. Oh, have you seen it? Many years ago, yes. Um, okay, well, maybe you you might have to fill me in on what happens at the very end because as much as I liked the movie, the Scorpion releasing Blu-ray is a piece of shit and like. <laughs> freezing up at a certain really? point i was just like i can't i can't do this so I, there's like the last 10 minutes uh i'm still planning on going back and trying to right. see if i can like get it to work yeah uh but that it would it really upset me because i really was enjoying the movie it's so strange and yet yeah. kind of amazing yeah it's a um it's an entirely uh fantastical sort of allegorical movie mm-hmm. is very much a christ type of allegory that takes place in <clears throat> i guess like an old west town mm-hmm. but the town is really just a couple of buildings yeah. that's entirely run by this guy named greaser his mm-hmm. name is uh uh seaweed head greaser <laughs> that's his that's his name yeah uh and his son's name is uh, it's either Lamy Homo or Homo Lamy. <laughs> I can't remember which one it is. Uh, See, these are things I don't remember since I <laughs> yeah. saw it in uh, in high school. Um, but he sort of is this uh, drunken, boorish, murderous uh, guy who runs the town with an iron fist. Everyone has to like a lord. Everyone has mm-hmm. to like pay. Uh, you know, pay like uh, pay him. What, I, like ta- taxes, I guess. Yeah. 
my vocabulary is not, I, I was out too late last night. Um, and then out of the sky, literally mm-hmm. in a parachute comes this guy dressed in sort of like twenties, like cotton club type of like clothes. And right? because I remember thinking this when I was a kid, uh-huh. because he's so skinny, it's the, it's the psychiatrist from mash. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he looks very like his clothes look like the Joker. Like it, it has that oh, quality okay. to it. Um, and he just shows up, uh, and he, um, can heal people by touching them. Mm-hmm. So he brings seaweed head greaser's son back to life because seaweed head greaser is throughout the movie killing his son. He kills <laughs> his son like four or five times in the movie. <laughs> and this guy whose name is Jesse, mm-hmm. I think, right? Jesse. Uh, that sounds right to me. Yes. Um, keeps bringing them back. Uh, and so the, but Jesse, so like Jesse is like a Christ like figure, but he doesn't really seem to understand that that's what he is. Right. He seems kind of lost, but also not that bothered by being lost. He's just kind of like walking around. Yeah. That's all I does is walk around. And he says he's, he's got a, uh, a, a place in mind. He's, he's going to the city to be an actor mm-hmm. or whatever, but he doesn't seem in any real hurry to get there. Yeah. He just, Walks around, and uh, at one point he does a great song and dance number. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's called Jesse's Back in Town. Um, uh, that's, it's, a, it's an awesome musical number that uh, Greaser is uh, unmoved by. Um, but it, I, 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 so you were how old when you saw it? Gosh, I was probably 14. I happened to see it on like PBS or something oh, wow. like that. Okay. Uh, same way I saw Jan Svankmeyer's Alice. Oh, I yeah. saw some weird movies on yeah, PBS. That's a good movie. Yeah. Um, so it seems like there's like the, the, the Christ allegory is the framework, but it doesn't seem to be specifically about that so much as it's about the idea of Jesse being a freeing influence that everyone, mm-hmm. everyone in this town is un, under the thumb of greaser. Yeah. And they're also, everyone is like sort of, uh, uh, I guess blocked up in one way or another with greaser. He's specific. This is another thing that happens. He's constant. Do you remember this part of it? I do that. He has this outhouse, but it's like at the top, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That it hangs off. Like the outhouse hangs off the balcony of greaser's palace, his, mm-hmm. his, uh, his bar slash home. And every time he thinks that he's going to go to the bathroom, he runs there and everyone gathers around up there or from below to see if something's going to come through. Yeah. And he keeps not, he can't, he's constipated, but then other people seem to be like sort of like sexually blocked up. Mm-hmm. Um, in, uh, people, people seem to be very frustrated by, uh, by things. And Jesse is just there to, I guess, try to free them or he doesn't care. I don't think. Right. But that's what he's doing. Um, Again, I don't know quite how it ends. I still well, it's to go precisely back and watch because that. he doesn't care that yeah. people. It's it's almost as though, in true Christ analogy kind of way, uh, they realize, oh, there's another way to think about things. Yeah, like yeah, maybe yeah. if I stop trying to force it, yeah. whatever the it might be, uh, maybe <laughs> he'll go. just you know. Yeah. Uh, there's also a. I don't, I, I don't, this is so funny and darkly funny. There's a family coming into town because the, the woman is going to be going to sing at Greaser's palace. Mm-hmm. But over the course of the movie, the husband and the kid both get shot and killed mm-hmm. like by just sort of a, a guy. Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just senseless murder. And then, and and and, and then the woman gets shot and spends the rest of the movie, like sort of crawling around dying. Yeah. It keeps cut. It's just like in the middle of, 
two scenes, it'll just cut back to her crawling through like the tall grass, bleeding from the stomach. I remember thinking that was very funny. Yeah, oh yeah, it is okay. very funny. Okay, all right, <laughs> but it's darkly funny. Yeah. Yes, um, I really, really liked what I saw of the movie. Uh, I mean, it definitely ends the way you think it will. Um, oh, they do they kill him? They kill mm, Jesse? Yes. Nah, I kind of figured. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully I can get the Blu-ray to work because one it stopped at one point while the woman was crawling around dying, <laughs> and I was like, "Fuck this!" And then I went back a couple of days later and was able to get it to play from that point. Mm-hmm. But then it froze up again, and I couldn't get the last ten minutes to play. But maybe Scorpion, get your act together. Yeah, unfortunately, get over here and get your act together. Yeah, that's a Mortal Kombat reference okay. I just made. Uh, real quick, uh, I have a joke for you. Okay. My theater teacher in high school, his wife was the math teacher. So he knew all kinds of math jokes. Oh, good. And so he told me this one that oh, is yeah. that is gross. Yes, I know. You I know already it. know the joke. Yeah. Uh, but listeners, you, you feel free to use this. Okay. Um, uh, did you hear about the constipated mathematician? Yes, I did. He worked it out with a pencil. Yeah. That's Ugh. gross. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good joke. It's, it's a good gross. joke. It's really well crafted, but yeah, gross. Um, okay. All right. What's up next for you? Next up for me is J.A. Bayona's Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. A.K.A. Jurassic Park 5. Sure. Okay. Um, if you want to be that kind of person. Um, that's not what it's called. Yeah, I think I generally am that kind of person. Yes, I know. I call Infinity War Avengers 3. It's just easier. Sure. I don't need all this. Right. Although it's still so like it's frustrating because like, yeah, it's event. Even looking at it that way, it's like it's Avengers three, but it's really Avengers four. Like, I don't care if you call it Captain America Civil War. That's really an oh, Avengers movie. Okay. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, I seem to be in the minority and that I think the movie is 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 not bad. Mm-hmm. It is dumb, much like the first film. But I think Wait. that. The, see, first this is, Jura- the first Jurassic World, pardon okay, me. Okay, yeah. See, this is why it's so confusing yeah. to me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this as like uh, almost like a reboot. And because it, it says world, I'm saying Jurassic World. Like the same characters are in it. You know, they, they okay. reference events from, from that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's very dumb. It's very predictable. It goes through the motions. So knowing that it's going to do that, you kind of have to look at the filmmaking itself. And J.A. Bayona directed it, Mm -hmm. uh, who made uh, A Monster Calls, which I, among other things, but I'm a huge fan of A Monster Calls. Well, he made um, The Orphanage, which I... um, I, I think thinking about Fallen Kingdom, I was th- uh, musing on Twitter. I think The Orphanage might be, for me personally, the scariest movie of the 21st century. Hmm. But then we get into different... I, I, I already know that you and I tend to be scared by different things in movies. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, so I, I'm not sure that you... I'm sure you don't agree with me, but that's maybe the most terrifying experience. It's tough. That's uh, a nightmare. Because that's the... You know, there are movies that are incredibly intense. Like, I haven't seen Hereditary yet. I have no doubt that I will be frightened at the time and it will and I, it will be very intense for me mm-hmm. but it won't really stay with me like usually the movies that are to me the most frightening are the ones that I carry home with me mm-hmm. um, incidentally I put this out on Twitter last night I woke Jen up from me uh, having a waking up from a terrible nightmare that involved the Zodiac Killer hanging out outside my window yeah like in full like black garb yeah that, that got me but you could take him now What's he, he's got to be 
if he's still alive, he's got to be very old. This is have, you, have you seen me at the gym? <laughs> it doesn't go great. Um, but anyway, so uh, Jay Bayon is a very, very effective filmmaker. This movie is not unlike uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park. It is visually darker. It's tonally darker. And he's able to work within that. Uh, Michael Giacchino does the music, and he clearly is having a ball having this big boy it's like he's it's like he's scoring uh, a universal monster movie uh he's really enjoying himself uh some of the actors uh, geraldine chaplin is in it it's fun to see her toby oh. jones she's in the orphanage oh okay i don't think yeah I, I haven't seen the orphanage so i didn't know but uh but yeah and james cromwell like a good cast i think m- most of them are are wasted but uh by which i mean just drunk the whole time <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's was still an enjoyable movie as long as you just you know. I don't say I don't like say like turn off your brain, but like you know ahead of time this is not going to be a challenging film. So within that is the filmmaking effective, and I think it is for the most part. Um, and then there are a couple moments. I think there's also a, a, a mournful quality to it. Um, Jen came out of the film saying that she was very sad by it, um, and the. It's it's the first film, maybe not the very first film, but like more so than any of the other films in the series. This is the f- this is the one where I come away really angry at people because before it's like oh well you know they they create these dinosaurs and then they try to exploit them. But the nature of this is that there's a debate going on because like a volcano is going to erupt and kill all the dinosaurs, uh, and the debate is do we save them or do we let them die and and when it comes right down to it, it's like, th- these things didn't ask to be created, and now we're the ones deciding whether or not they die. And like, well, mm-hmm. it's only natural to let them die. It's like, well, nothing about this is natural in the first place. And we say this with impunity, that we can just decide their fate. And like, no, 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 no. It's best that they die. We'll be over here. Um, and so like really exploring the emotional consequences. And there is a scene involving a brachiosaur, and anybody who has watched my... Uh, Jurassic World uh, video essay that is uh, available at battleshipretention.com will know that with these new films there are certain dinosaurs and certain images of those dinosaurs that are meant to evoke uh, the first film specifically and in that uh, evocation uh, there's always going to be a difference and so that difference will really underline the change in the first film and where we are now. And the way they incorporate the Brachiosaur into it is particularly uh, heartbreaking. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, some people are saying, like, it's a really terrible take. Yeah, it, on many levels it is. But as far as mood and filmmaking, there's still a lot there to admire. All right. Um... I watched one of my new favorite movies. Okay. Um, uh, I think for a long time, one of my favorite movies, it's kids. When I, uh, when I've made top 10 all time lists, I've occasionally put the third man on, on my, Mm -hmm. uh, well, I watched another Carol Reed movie that I hadn't seen before. The fallen idol. Okay. Have you seen the fallen? Idol? Uh, it takes place in the French, uh, French embassy at, uh, in London. Um, and the, 
the the son of the ambassador. So the ambassador and his wife are away for the weekend. The son lives they you know their residence are in the embassy, and he clearly is closer to the butler and the butler's wife, who's mm-hmm. I guess the head maid or however I don't know how these 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 things work. Right. Um, and the butler is played by um, Ralph Richardson, I think. Oh, all right. Um, and he loves that's he loves him. Uh, the the kid loves his loves the butler. They have this great cute friendship. But he hates the butler's wife. And you know who else hates the butler's wife? The butler. Got it. Um, and so one day he's sent to his room, uh, and he sneaks out because he sees the butler going. For, his name's Baines. Uh, going for a uh, a walk, so he decides to follow him and discovers. I guess I would say discovers that the butler is having an affair, but the kid is too young to really understand that. He just discovers new things about him. And then at this point, Baines asks the kid to keep his secret. Mm -hmm. And that sort of begins on this path of, you know, the movie's called The Fallen Idol. Sort of this guy being taken down in the kids. You know, he looks up to this guy more than his own father. And... I don't want to get, get into where the film goes because it gets much more, uh, many, many more things happen, but, um, it ends up being incredibly heartbreaking, uh, mostly from the point of view of the kid, but also from the point of view of Baines in a way. And also from mm-hmm. the point of view of, uh, Mrs. Baines. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's, it, there's something, I, I think part of the, I've always felt that the third man and, and, and also fallen idol feel uh, a, they feel ahead of their time. I feel like Carol Reed is, he seems more willing to, in an, in a Wellesian type way, more yeah. willing to move his camera around a lot and, uh, find new ways to, to frame things. There's a mm-hmm. part where they're playing hide and seek in the house at night where the camera is like, Oh, nice. M- you know, moving around and going under tables and like things that you don't always, you don't always see in this is 1948. I think this mm-hmm. movie, um, and then there's, you know, close-ups and candid angles and things that from a low ground. But also the way that he directs actors seems ahead of its time in that it's less, it's even less theatrical than yeah. so much of 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 the pre-method stuff. You know, right. not that it's method, <clears throat> but actors in in Carol Reed movies seem more free to be quiet if mm-hmm. they need to be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and. Uh, he seems more okay with some dialogue, maybe not even being understood. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. cause it's, it's quiet or it, it's, it's just tossed off or it's over overlapped with, you know, it's things that I think I, we tend to equate with later periods. Yeah. Like, you know, the, uh, method came around in the fifties and sixties. And then you've got the, the, yeah, the sort of new Hollywood seventies mm-hmm. and, and Oliver, Oliver Reed, <laughs> Carol Reed seems like a, um, uh, a precursor to that. But like, I always think Oliver Reed because Oliver Reed was an actor yeah. too, but also Carol Reed directed Oliver. Yes. And so I, it seems so, uh, yeah. Carol Reed directed Oliver with Oliver Reed. Yeah. It, this is, <laughs> it seems so natural yeah. to say. It feels Oliver like Reed. there was a clerical error yeah. that caused that to happen. <laughs> and they're like, well, I mean, he's still a good actor. Let's go with it. <laughs> um, anyway. So yeah, the fallen idol, man, oh man, okay. it's, it's great. 
Yeah, uh, Carol Reed is, an, is a director that, you know, for years I thought of him only as the, the guy that made The Third Man because I was the only one of his films I'd seen. Since then, I saw Oliver, which is very good, mm-hmm. and um, Night Train to Munich, which is, oh. is a film that is notably not ahead of its time. Okay. Because it's, it's, a, it's a very good movie. It's extremely well made. Um, but it's kind of a conventional war espionage film. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that and you look at The Third Man, you'll see such a, a tonal shift. And the difference is we now, like between the two, we discovered exactly what the Nazis had been doing. Mm. They weren't merely, oh, well, they're the bad guys. They're, oh, they're actual monsters. Now. Yeah. And, and so it's uh, something that I find interesting. But anyway, uh, okay. So this will be an odd one, and we don't have to spend much time on it. Okay. Uh, I went to a Fathom event of riff tracks talking about space mutiny, okay. uh, which I was very familiar with the MST3K version of it. Hmm. Um, and that version is better as far as the, the jokes that are made. But, you know, the neat thing about, about watching MST3K or Rift Tracks or Cinematic Titanic, whatever it is, is that, yes, you're watching it for comedic purposes, but as you are, you also are watching a movie yeah. that you would never watch otherwise. And as you think back on it, of course you're going to think about it in terms of the comments that are made, but you also are going to be able to filter that out and see the movie that is there. And it really is, it never ceases to amaze me how some movies get made and but you can also piece it together that I, have you seen space mutiny? No. Okay. No. Uh, it takes place on uh, a spaceship, but they, the filmmakers clearly had access to like an abandoned factory <laughs> with catwalks. I mean, it's, it looks really great. It looks yeah. very, uh, access chemicals from uh, Batman. Uh, but you know, the, the walls are occasionally brick. Um, like I know that I know that you say you're in the engine room, but at the same time, I feel like this doesn't quite work, but it's very clear. They got access to this factory Uh and clearly somehow got access to, uh, (coughs) exteriors from Battlestar Galactica or something like that and thought we can make this work. And it is hilarious and more than anything, that factory looks really great, and I feel like you could have made a much better movie yeah. uh, with this location than the one you did. Factory but mutiny. Fact, exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, it turns out it's like this big union thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it came out in, I think, 88, and so uh, Star Wars was still very much in the, in the public consciousness, and so we have the opportunity to do something spacey. So let's do it. And then within that, the the story is so astonishingly stupid. And early on there, there are a group of women that dance around a crystal ball. Like it, it, they, they get rescued by this ship and then they stay in this room and dance around this crystal ball and seem to be able to manipulate people from afar. We never know why. We don't do anything with them. We just occasionally cut back to them as they dance around. It's very strange. <laughs> but, uh, but that's definitely the way to watch that movie. All right. Um, I watched a movie that uh, blew me away. I love... Spe- I mean, not that this one's ahead of its time, like The Fallen Idol, but speaking of just 
uh, older movies that you know uh, I find that as I get older I like older movies more I, I spend a lot of time I pretty much stopped watching television hmm. in favor of watching more old movies oh that's great um, and so I watched the 1921 therefore silent mm-hmm. uh, the three musketeers with Douglas oh, right. Fairbanks and um, Adolf Menjou as Louis the 13th okay. um, have you seen it no I haven't it's so much fun it's so lively. Um, not that it's, I mean, we were talking, I think on the last movie journal, we were talking about, uh, Michael Curtiz's, uh, the adventures of Robin hood right. being like a precursor to the action movie. Um, this doesn't quite have that much, but it does have just a great sense of fun. Um, to some extent, like at the expense of D'Artagnan being, likable like he's kind of a shit you know <laughs> um, he's like our lead yeah and he's it, but he's like a um uh he, he he's like uh he's like maverick in top gun like sure. he's so full of himself the entire time that we're just yeah. supposed to go along with him just by sheer force of will yeah and because he's got the goods he's better at sword fighting than everyone hmm. no one beats him at sword fighting and that's kind of his that's kind of his character, I guess. And he's really boastful about it. And he's kind of a dick and he steals food at one point. He's like one of the other musketeers bets him, um, you know, uh, that he can't get dinner for them without having any money. And you think, Oh, what's his clever ploy going to be? It's like, no, he just goes and steals a bunch of yeah. food, <laughs> but we love him because he's like smiling and like dashing yeah. and gallant or whatever. Um, uh, and having a good time during all of it is Douglas Fairbanks uh, 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 D'Artagnan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, and then of course you've also got uh, Cardinal Richelieu mm-hmm. as the um, the villain, which is uh, my, Natalie watched some of it with me. And every time there was a card, uh, a title, inner title that referred to Cardinal Richelieu, we looked at our cat because our for those who don't know, our cat's name is Cardinal Richelieu. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so it was always very funny to like be like. Uh, you know, uh, uh, they must defeat, we must defeat Rishlu's forces. Rishlu has an iron grip. We're looking at our cat, like stretching out in a patch of sun, like Rishlu. Uh, you're not going to get away with this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, the, the sword fighting is, is awesome. Um, the movie is a ton of fun. It's, it's like a full two hours long, but it just zips by. Yeah. Um, you know, which is some, sometimes, uh, I, I feel like, uh, sometimes silent films, especially ones based on old like books like that can be kind of, they didn't quite understand how to, it's a little bit too much like of a one-to-one and then yeah. it becomes boring on screen. Right. You know, I'm thinking of the, the 1916 Sherlock Holmes sure. movie that, uh, Flickr Alley put out, uh, like a couple of years ago. Um, and that one's, it's just, it's too boring, but this one is so full of life. Yeah, I've actually spent the last uh, week putting together, well, no, not last week, the last few days, putting together um, a curriculum for a, a, a short class that I'm teaching uh, next month, and and it's about film history, so I've been looking back at uh, silent films, and I watched The Chariot Race from the silent Ben-Hur. Okay. And it probably is not better than the 59 Ben-Hur, but it's still so amazing. I do think that we have an image, even, even I do. And I, and I'm a big fan of silent film. I think we have an image of early film as being kind of static 
and it took them a while to like really free up the camera. No, I mean yeah. some of these are, are are astonishing, and and you come to realize and you come to realize that of course yes, sound would eventually be a, uh, worked out, but just how much sound hampered like tremendous visual progress yeah, really, uh, in the twenties. Yeah. But anyway, what, um, what year is that? The, the, uh, I don't remember exactly. I mean, I was looking it up actually like earlier today. Um, but, uh, but Can now I, I don't f- recall. Oh, okay. Ben Hur, Tales of the Christ, 1925. Right. Um, and of course now things. Okay. So it's funny you mentioned that. Okay. Directed by Fred Niblo, who directed The Three Musketeers. There you go. So, yeah. Uh, that guy and knew what he was doing. And isn't it interesting? Like, this is the fir- like I, I did not take the time to look up who directed uh, that Ben-Hur. You didn't mention him as the director of Three Musketeers. And yet, apparently, he's this virtuosic silent director that I now want to take the time to look into. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Oh, you're up next, right? Yes. Uh, a film that you have seen, okay, which is Ant Man and the Wasp. Oh, that's my next one too. So that okay. works out. Uh, so yeah. means you'll do two in a row, or is this your last one? Like no, I have one more after. Okay, this. you'll do two in a row. Okay. So, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of the first one. I know that's crazy. In retrospect, the action from the first one is so much fun and so creative. And I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of Civil War, but everything they did with Ant Man from an action okay. standpoint was, was great and, and novel. And I, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and on that level, I like Ant man and the wasp. Michael Pena continues to be the MVP. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. No question about it. Um, <laughs> just so much fun. Like, I, he, <laughs> Natalie and I were like the next day I was still like texting her. Like, remember when he did this, like, yeah. he, uh, there's a part he goes, he does the, Budweiser was up and like you remember the last yeah uh, it's like beloved commercial <laughs> oh beloved oh yeah I thought it was popular ad campaign it was beloved commercial yeah. don't you remember that beloved commercial <laughs> um, and I do and uh, and there's another part where he's uh, that may you know we love to talk about things that like aren't necessarily jokes jokes that are just like a funny like mm. performance thing there's a part where he's on a he's been doped up yeah. with a certain kind of kind of drug and Walton Goggins as one of the villains is like he's like you know I'm going to tell you blah 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 and he just goes okay <laughs> and yeah. the way he says okay because <laughs> uh, under the influence of the drug yeah. just that it's not a joke but it's yeah. very funny yeah he's he's great and and I enjoy the other two uh, ex-cons um, specifically T.I. and David Dostmachian Yes, I never know how to say that guy's name, but I do enjoy yeah. his uh, Russian guy's obsession with Baba Yaga. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I enjoy <laughs> what I forgot about yeah. the Baba Yaga part. There's so much good stuff. <laughs> Just like so terrified. Uh, that's the thing is like those scenes work for me so well because I think everybody involved. Not just the actors, but I think the the writers as well. They all know exactly what to do. I still, I don't necessarily blame him. I I think Paul Rudd is out to sea. Like, Hmm. I get so, I don't get any sense of his character. I think it has to do with with the writing. And that's rare in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, whether it be Doctor Strange or Iron Man or, I'd say... The character T'Challa from Black Panther is another one that I still get a sense of who he is, but he seems a little bit nondescript to me. Um, whereas, like Paul Rudd, I, it might be that maybe he's not a strong enough actor to imbue the character with more. But I just feel like they they 
have that character be whatever they need him to be in the moment. Like on one hand, he's supposed to be really smart, but then he also says dumb things. And I just, it doesn't, is he supposed to be smart? But like he's supposed to be in the first film. He's supposed to be very smart, but like cunning, not like well-read. No, I think well-read. He's supposed to like be a scientific scientifically brilliant. Uh, see, I forgot that. Right. That's clearly not a part of this one. That's clearly not a part of this one. But um, I liked it way more than you do. I think it's everything I liked about the first one, but more so. It's more fun than the first one. It's funnier than the first one, to the point where this is... Uh, I think this might be the first... Like, the Guardians movies are funny, but I think this is the first Marvel movie that is a comedy first, before it's an action movie. Um... You did not see Thor Ragnarok, right? Uh, right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. okay. Oh, the ones I've seen. Yeah, I hear right. that one also is very funny. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I had, a, I had a blast the entire time. Um, one thing, um, uh, uh, a friend, um, Angie Han from Mashable, was at the screening. She mm-hmm. uh, pointed out that other reviews I've seen had pointed out that it, in a way, it kind of doesn't have a villain, which I it, think is a good it move doesn't. to add to the, because it has... Walton Goggins, who's too much of a, he's too small fry to be like, he's an obstacle. And right. then you've got Hannah John Kamen and Lawrence Fishburne who were too sympathetic to be villains. Right. So, um, so it's it, just a bunch of stuff that happens. Yeah. Which makes it more of a comedy. And I liked that. That's true. Yes. But the downside is that I would have liked for the, the ghost character. I would have liked more there. I feel like if they had committed narratively to her being more of a villain, I feel like they would have felt more licensed to develop her more. And then I, I'm bummed. I, I think Walton Goggins does a fine job. I would have liked more from him. And it's clear the only reason he's there is because he has henchmen and they need, and narratively we need to be able to fight a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And so, and that's the thing is because I can see like all of this stuff, but he like, some, that's oh, sorry, go ahead. But what what I do like is that from a pairing off standpoint, like he is up against, you know, uh, uh, Evangeline Lilly. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I forgot if, I forgot if that's her or if it's, if that's the other person from lost, the other, uh, the, the blonde from lost. I don't remember whose name is whose. Oh, um, Juliet Elizabeth Ju- Mitchell Elizabeth Mitchell yes. yeah they don't Evangeline, look alike <laughs> I know but it's like it was Evangeline and right. and Elizabeth anyway uh, and also it just speaks to how bland Evangeline Lilly is uh, as an on screen presence but um, <sighs> I disagree I mean I, I feel I felt that way during Lost a yes, lot of times yes. but I I really like Hope I think I, I just want that's the thing is it's the case with the first film it's the case with this one I just want more like. I'm, I love that it's committed to being a comedy. I think tonally, that's definitely what we need. Uh, but I think it does it um, to the at the expense of, of of deeper characterization. I think it happens with Ant Man. I think it happens with the Wasp. I think that they do develop him a little bit, but it could just be because yeah, it's Hank an older Pym. Hank yeah. Pym. Pardon me. Uh, uh, it could just be it's. Michael Douglas, he's an older actor and he's just able to imbue some right. the character or something. Yeah. I would say if I, my only complaint along those lines is that just wasn't enough Michelle Pfeiffer. I could have used more Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, but sure. that's true of most movies. Most yeah. movies could use, that's my uh, big problem with tag. Not enough, Michelle, not enough Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, but it's fun. So I guess I see what you're saying about it, not going too deep, but one of the things in terms of characters that I liked about it is that it gives, I mean, I guess with the exception of some of the, the faceless henchman, but mm-hmm. it gives every character a, 
their own personality. Like even because Walton Goggins even ha- even has two other henchmen who are like I guess his his chief henchmen, yeah. and they're they have funny lines or, yeah. or funny reactions. And you mentioned Ti and David Osmalchian yeah. and Michael Pena, and uh, oh, we haven't even talked about it. Randall Park, who's great in the movie. He is a um, lot of fun. Although I, uh, again. I don't know. I didn't mean this to be the 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 um, about uh, the gender, but Judy Greer again is kind of wasted. I think um, yeah. they give all the funny stuff with that group to Bobby Cannavale, who's very funny. And he's very in, funny. I would have liked movies. to see. I'd like to see both of them more, but I understand why um, they wouldn't. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like uh, Judy Greer is one of those actresses that like people who know who she is love her, yeah. but then it seems like. Hollywood does it like doesn't seem to understand yeah. what they have with her. Like she's incredibly talented. Yeah. She's in a couple of scenes in Jurassic World, right? As just like as a sister, like yeah. to uh, to a lead. And it's like you you're sitting on on gold here. Yeah, this is what I said about uh, uh, that mainstream Hollywood doesn't know what to do with Mike Epps because they put him in sure. uh, the Death Wish remake, which I don't think you saw. <laughs> I did not. And just he's just got some like expositions like you have Mike Epps yeah and like the same thing you have Judy Greer why yeah no. but I don't want to complain too much you could be the guy complaining about Amen and the no. Wasp I'm the guy who loved it but you know what here's the thing I, I was talking about pairing off once they event once they get Walton Goggins and his crew dealing with Michael Pena and his crew that's when it is at its most consistent <laughs> and it's and it's best yeah just the the back and forth because you realize that like yeah I mean Walton Goggins ultimately his character is just kind of a low level uh, criminal, he he shouldn't be operating on the same level as Ant Man and Wasp. Yeah. So it's like, okay, now we've figured out where everyone needs to be. <laughs> um, but again, the action is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I think the ghost character, I think she's very well realized on an action standpoint, uh, from an action standpoint. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the end, uh, I didn't I didn't hate the movie. I I just wasn't that engaged. Yeah, I laughed a lot, and. Uh it even has a uh, Tim Heidecker cameo, which I it thought sure was very It sure does, funny. yes. So, okay, next for me is a rewatch, uh, which makes sense, uh, given uh, more than one lesson, which is uh, I rewatched I, Tanya. Uh, I recently had uh, actor Paul Walter Hauser on the show, who played Sean Eckhart in I, Tanya. And so, uh, to put this is again on, that, on more than one lesson on more than one lesson. Yeah. Uh, and so I, to prepare for that, I watched the movie again and I don't know if you remember that when I first watched it, I didn't necessarily love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it more this time because, you know, the first time you watch it, the absurdity of what's going on and the, the, <clears throat> the goofiness of the people involved re- is really kind of at the forefront. And when you know, so, but when you watch it and you know that, then it kind of allows you to see the smaller moments, like the the more dramatic moments. Um, while I really would have preferred Laurie Metcalf to win Best Supporting Actress uh, over Allison Janney, um, mm-hmm. and I thought of Allison Janney's performance as a bit heightened or over the top watching it this time is like there are over the top things about her, but the character is just also a gregarious person. And, 
and there are some really nice moments in Janie's performance where you see like the mask kind of slip, but doesn't, but she doesn't, uh, let it slip so much that the actress is saying like, Hey, look, I know this person isn't great. I'm going to try and imbue them with something that isn't actually there. It's not that like, it does feel real and organic. Same with Margot Robbie. Um, I always thought Sebastian Stan did a, a great job in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have liked, uh, it's a shame that he didn't get more, uh, recognition for it. Um, so overall, I think I, I definitely liked it more this time because there is something a little bit deeper than just the than the humor and absurdity of it. Um, I do. I still am not one hundred percent sure if the film is actually looking down on these people. Um, you know, I yeah. the concept of white trash, which is something that I. You know, I recognize that that it's not necessarily the equivalent of the N word, but white trash is a, is a phrase that we have all used yeah. fairly casually. Yep. Um, and the more I think about it, it's like, well, now we're speaking about a poverty level, um, and and that and behavior that might be a function of that. And by the way, like we would, I think I'm not trying to say like, like well, if we talked this way about black, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if it were another race, we wouldn't talk like that. We would think that was offensive. Right. Because we're not talking about, but it's not a function of race. It's a function of poverty. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Normally when, 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 because I'm, when, when, when people try to do that sort of what about ism with, with, with white, like, well, if whites, what if there was right. a, if, if we flipped it or something, yeah, if the, yeah. you know, why isn't there a, you know, a miss white America or that sort of thing, whatever. Right. The reason that doesn't, uh, doesn't work is because shit is not balanced. Right. The power is usually in these cases on the side of white people. But in this case, you're talking about poverty. So this is yeah. punching down. Right. Which and, is not cool. Yeah. And, but the, and the reason that we're okay with it is like, well, no, it's, it's white trash. And, so I'm not I'm not trying to do like the the flipping thing. I'm saying that we would all that's what I'm rightfully avoid saying it because we wouldn't want to be considered racist. Like, yeah, so you acknowledge that we are punching down yeah. and we are looking down on a group of people that don't, aren't doing great, by the way. Yeah. Um and so so I do I do worry that this film kind of engages in that a little bit. Uh but I also and it's it's hard to know exactly. Like I yeah. go back and forth. By it's different than than the Big Short. That's punching as far up as possible. Yeah. But but tonally it's similar. But this has to do with people that like. Yes, I recognize that they were on the national stage. That's not the same as them being actual celebrities, though. Yeah. So I, I, I go back and forth on it. I think no. Obviously, with like the movie is. Inviting you to laugh at the Sean Eckert <laughs> character. Yes. Um, and yet I do still feel that he's a little bit pathetic. That's something that, yeah, that yeah. Paul and I talked about is that like, um, he's a guy that it's kind of okay to judge, but when it comes right down to it, like there might've been some actual like mental problems with yeah. him. Um, but I think most of the stuff you're talking about, I'm willing to believe that it is more in the spirit of laughing with the idea that, that you can be, that even if you're in an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. you're still a human in the world. And so you still, there's still some pleasure in your life sure, and some joy. And so you can kind of 
you're you're not it's not just all suffering all the time. You know what I mean? And so I think yes. some of the laughs are just like, yeah, I'd probably laugh at that shit if I were in this, in this relationship too. Like oh, I, my mom accidentally stabbed me. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yet if that's normal to what, you, what's funny, right? Is that, like that moment is funny. And yet it's also, it also takes the air out of the room. Mm-hmm. Like when you realize like, Oh, okay. That was not the plan. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons that I like Sebastian Sebastian Stan's performance as Jeff Galuli mm-hmm. is that he's a violent guy, and obviously I can't condone that. But you also and he, but he doesn't necessarily he doesn't really possess Tanya the way we think of like abusive husbands possessing their wives. Like she's still very strong willed mm-hmm. against him, and so it's like this is more complicated or at least more complex than I think. Not that it right. excuses what he did, of course. No, but, but probably a lot of relationships are more complicated right. than we, exactly than we imagine. And so I it's think not all, I don't know why I'm going directly to this. It's not all Sawyer's dad from lost. It's <laughs> just kind of like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I do think that it's a, it's, th- there is some complexity there, but not unlike when I watch, you know, a Christopher guest movie, there are times when I'm just like, it's like, I'm chuckling and I'm not sure. If I'm supposed to, I mean, I know I'm supposed to, but I don't know if I'm supposed to be aware Mm -hmm. of this other level. Um, So, yeah, it's so I go back and forth on it, but I definitely did Mm -hmm. like it more this time than than before. Well, I still like it a lot, but I will say the same thing I say every time it comes up. You should watch the documentary The Price of Gold from 2014 about this. Um, I'm pretty sure it's available on demand. It's only 78 minutes long. I just looked it up. Tyler, you should see it. You at home should see the price of gold. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Then I'm going to finish this off with a couple of movies here. I watched the movie. Uh, that's a, a tiny documentary. I guess it's coming out this weekend, but I'm not sure where, uh, it's called calling all earthlings. And, um, it's kind of a slapdash movie, but that kind of fits what it's about. It's specifically about uh, Tyler. You've been out to, uh, Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. You've been to Joshua tree. No. Okay. But you know where that is? Yes. Have you heard of the Integratron? No. So there's this dome like building dome. Okay. It's a dome. It's a Got wooden it. dome, uh, constructed entirely without nails somehow. I don't really understand that. Oh, neat. Um, and you can go it's there. All, it's all dowels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can go there and at certain times and learn about the history of it. And then they do what's called a sound bath. People lay down and they sort of make noises on these like drum, like bowl type things. And because of the shape of the room, it like fills the whole room. And I've never, uh, Natalie's done it. You're supposed to be able to sort of feel it throughout your whole body. Um, but that's not really the purpose. The sound bath is not the purpose that the Integraton was built for. Okay. It was built as a sort of, time machine slash energy source because a doctor in the fifties was visited by an alien time traveler who gave him the plans. And so apparently there's magic or spiritual power in the formulas that were used to design the Integratron. Got it. So calling our other things is about the Integratron, but not just about it. It's about Charles Van Tessel. I think is his name. And that whole Van Tassel Van Tassel. Yeah. Um, and that that whole kind of scene, mm-hmm. which is like, uh, I think the movie kind of is find some some delight in it, and so do I. 
Um, it's all ridiculous, but also this is, I think, a part of weird California shit, weird California does, desert shit. Even that calling I love. it the Integratron yeah. just sounds. Yeah, but the fact, and like, I mean, this is like mid 20th century. This is the same time as like Scientology and like the time of the master, you know, yeah. there's like, and so Charles Van Tassel, George uh, Van Tassel, George right. Van Tassel started a religion called the church of universal wisdom. I think, I don't know if that's on there. Okay. Um, and so, and there were people, and so he was just living in the desert under a huge, he and his wife built a, an airstrip cause he was an aviator. Mm-hmm. They built an airstrip alongside an enormous, like one of the biggest freestanding like rocks in the words, like a seven story tall rock. Mm. And they dug out under the rock and built a cafe. And so their aviator friends would come like land their Cessnas or whatever and come eat like hamburgers and pie in the middle of the <laughs> desert <laughs> under this rock. Uh, but also he's being visited by aliens. And so people are coming out, uh, trying to get in touch with energies or just trying to get away yeah. from, uh, just the reason that people go to the California desert, which is mostly crazy shit. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I just, as a guy who is, come to love California more and more the longer I live here. I do find a lot of pleasure in just learning about this kind of stuff. Even though I think it's ridiculous. I also think it's like, it's, I mean, it's not an only in California thing. Cause that's a, sure. That's a cliche we've made fun of before, yeah. but it does, it, it, it does seem to fit. Yeah. It's not <laughs> out of, you know, not out of the question of California. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Looking at the Wikipedia page here for the Integratron or for yeah, George Van uh, Integratron. Um, Unsurprisingly, Huel Hauser visited there for California's Gold. Um, even less surprisingly, the band Zwan filmed a video there. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was looking at the the uh, the plaque there that explains okay. it, and it says the Integratron is the creation of George Van Tassel and is based on the design of of Moses's Tabernacle, the writings of Nikola Tesla. And the telepathic directions from extraterrestrials. It's just yeah. like it's like okay, you buried the lead there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and then it then it goes into more uh, detail. Yeah, there's there. um uh, at the beginning there's a woman giving the tour before doing the sound bath, and this woman is like a like was a physician at Stanford. She's like mm-hmm. a brilliant woman, but also is clearly into this stuff. And so she's like giving the tour, telling people about George Bentas. And he was, and she's like, he was a scientist. He was an aviator. He was an engineer. He was an, uh, alien contactee. <laughs> like just, just as just part of his CV, I guess. Is, uh, 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 yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun, it's a fun movie. Very, it's a very slight. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and like I said, sort of slapdash, but, uh, uh, yeah, there are worse ways to spend 80 minutes than, sure. uh, just learning about some weird shit. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and then I went home and I watched the movie. Uh, I get the feeling this movie is going to be mentioned very briefly on the next episode of, okay. uh, <laughs> I watched a movie that I'd never really seen before. I had memories of watching this on TV as a kid, mm. but you know, with commercials edited and there's a lot of foul language in this movie. So it was probably pretty heavily edited yeah. and I don't really remember it that well. So I watched, I'm going to say, I'm going to say for the first time, officially I watched Hal Needham's Smokey and the Bandit. Okay. Uh, have you seen it? Uh, same thing. Like same thing. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those movies that's kind of in the consciousness, yeah. but I didn't really sitting and watching it. It's not that good. It's pretty dumb. And oh, not, yes. dumb is not necessarily a bad thing. I like some dumb movies, right. but it's also, this is how Hal Needham's a stunt 
uh, a stuntman. This is his first movie as a director. Now we've seen other stuntmen turn directors make great movies, like mm-hmm. with uh, uh, John Wick and Atomic Blonde. Um, but he doesn't seem to have at this point much of a handle on um, uh, on, on visual geography in terms mm-hmm. of uh, like individual shots have great stunts, but there's like one part where they're smokies ta- or, or the bandits taking one of the, the, the smokies, not the main smokey, not Buford T justice, but okay. one of the side smokies on a little, like uh, they've gone off road and it's a little car chase to the woods. And then he's, I, I guess the idea is that he's caused the cop car to drive into the lake, mm-hmm. but Hal Needham doesn't understand how to, or doesn't seem to understand how to right. relate that. We see them driving around and then we just see a shot of the lake and this cop car is like, Woo, you know, and lands yeah. in, the, in the lake. But there's, there's stuff like that throughout. And the movie is completely unconcerned with its own story dynamics and keeping balls in the air. Um, and you know, just things, things that wouldn't bother me if the movie were better, but like it's inconsistent they're talking on the CB the whole time. Okay. It's the movie is inconsistent as to whether or not Buford T justice is listening in. Cause there's some stuff we see him hearing. So he knows, yeah. but there's other stuff that like, it's like, well, you're talking about your plans. If he hears that, he's just going to go to the right. Where do you like? And it, there's, there's just all kinds of, uh, it, it, it just feels very half baked in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, but the performances, uh, Burt Reynolds and Sally field and, um, Jerry Reed uh, are, are fun, and Jackie Gleason is fantastic. Yeah, um, and <laughs> he has uh, uh, he's yelling at his son. Yes, who's in the car with him, and he uh, and he says, "Luckily, you know, he's supposed to be a bad guy, so this is." Uh, but he says, "Like, I it's something like I can't believe you came for me. When I get home, I'm gonna punch your mother in the mouth." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and then of course there's the classic, uh, give me a Diablo sandwich and a Dr. Pepper and make it quick. I'm in a goddamn hurry, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which I looked up what a Diablo sandwich is. It's essentially a sloppy Joe that's spicy. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It sounded good to me. I kind of wanted one. Uh, I don't know. It's, 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 there's fun stuff. Oh, it has maybe one of the best movie dogs of all time. Okay. uh, Fred, the, the Basset hound. Um, uh, there's, there's a whole, there's a, maybe my favorite part of the movie with Fred, the Basset hound is when they like stop to like eat and exchange information and they're getting back on the road and Fred, Fred, the Basset hound just decides, uh, you know, fuck your mission here. I'm going for a swim in that pond. (laughs) And so there's a whole like part where Jerry Reed has to like wade into the pond and get the dog back. It has nothing to do with anything else. But, uh, it's, uh, and that, that's the, that's the nature of this movie. Like, like I said, it's not very good, Yeah, but I, I, I would probably watch it again. It, it has a sense of fun to it. So yeah. Okay. My, I had a friend, uh, in high school, uh, RIP named Willie, who was like a good old Southern boy. Uh-huh. Um, and he loved uh, Smokey and the Bandit so much so that I bought it for him for Christmas one year. Um, and, uh, and so there, 
he had me, he like, I didn't have time to watch the whole movie, but he had me watch certain scenes and they're all Buford to justice, of course. <laughs> and since then, and then on never not funny, like Jimmy would quote him all the time. Uh-huh. Like, I'm going to smack your mama in the mouth. <laughs> um, and so I, so just now I was looking, so I've seen like all of his scenes. I haven't seen any of the stunts. Uh-huh. Um, and so as I was, <laughs> so I was, I was going through some of the memorable quotes and I was, re- and I'm remembering like the d- wonderful delivery. Like, <laughs> Like Junior saying, "Like my hat blew off." Danny's like, "I hope your goddamn head was in it." <laughs> like it's it's just so. Yeah. Oh man, uh, all right, man, um, I, for, I forget how how just generally awesome Jackie Gleason was. Whether yeah. it be like saying almost nothing in The Hustler, uh-huh. or just these just this over the top Southern guy in uh, in Smokey and the Bandit.